This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Hello guys and welcome back to Old News. Uh, I'm Tom Elms and today I'm joined by Kit Barker. Welcome Kit. Thanks Tom. It's good to have you with me today. Uh, Today we're going to be not looking at a whole book uh, like we normally do, but instead we're going to be talking about uh, the genre of lament within the book of Psalms. Uh, I've got Kit with me today because he spent a whole bunch of time thinking about this stuff, but I thought we'd first start by getting to know you Kit. Uh, Yeah, who is Kit Barker? What does Kit Barker love? Right. Well, that's a, that's a complicated question, like it is for all of us. But uh, in many ways, I'm a simple guy. I live on the northern beaches of Sydney with my wife, Robin, and our three kids. And I do, what, uh, I do enjoy what most of the guys on the northern beaches enjoy. I spend my spare time fishing and surfing. And uh, when I get a chance, I smoke some meat, roast some coffee, uh, brew a little bit of homebrew from time to time. Um, but those keep me, those keep me busy and my kids keep me busy. It's, um, it's good. Yeah. Excellent. And, um, and then what do you, what do you spend your day to day job doing when you can't do uh, those fun things? Uh, look, it's a real privilege to be doing my job. Um, I spend my time traveling out to the inner West teaching, uh, the Bible at SMBC. And I spend a lot of time talking about Psalms and lament, uh, uh, the old Testament broadly. And when I'm not in class or marking loads of papers, I'm usually talking to students over a coffee, uh, chatting to them about life and ministry and and their studies. And um, when I get a chance and squeezing it around the edges, I try to write a book or an article or two every so often. Yeah, awesome. So a lot of brain heavy work, but not just academic stuff, but a bunch of hanging out with people and living their lives with them. It's the good part of the job. And um, yeah, so you've got a, quite a particular passage, I guess, for a few Old Testament books. Uh, but today we're talking about the Psalms. Uh, what has developed your passion for the book of Psalms? Mm. That started quite a, quite a while ago now when I was first exploring my PhD topic and thinking about how the Bible is God's word to his people. And so I was exploring that topic generally, but then I wanted to apply it to a particular book of the Bible on a particular issue. And the Psalms just really grabbed me with this problem of how is it that all of these Psalms, which are largely, predominantly uh, human words to God, then become God's words to us. Mm. It's, they're unique in the Bible in that way. Uh, it's not direct prophecy, thus says the Lord. It's people crying out to God in praise, in, in uh, adoration, in, in lament, in other ways. So... Uh, I started wrestling way back and then I started realizing uh, in my studies that this topic uh, just really isn't something I'd ever really encountered before. It wasn't something we talk about in church. But I'd hardly talked about it at all in my own theological education. And I wondered how this was possible uh, when it offers us such a rich way uh, to engage with God on his own terms. Yeah, awesome. And that's led you as well to release, I guess, a more digestible uh book that you edited with Jeff Harper. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, we wrote a book a couple of years ago now entitled Finding Lost Words, um, The Church's Right to Lament. 
And that was a product of not only my PhD work on Lament, but also uh, the last decade of teaching Psalms, where Jeff also does some of that Psalms class with me. We've just had constant conversations with students uh, and the general public who come and hear our lectures about um, the place of lament in Christian worship and how it's something that they had never really thought about. They've never really had it modeled to them. And we realized that there wasn't, uh, there weren't a lot of resources currently available and there still aren't uh, that help um, your average Christian engage with the book of Psalms and think about what it offers us in terms of lament and how that's supposed to be um, uh, part of our faithful response to, to this life of faith. So, um, so it was really a product of a lot of conversations, a lot of years teaching and a, a realization that this uh, topic didn't have a lot of resources for people. And it didn't have a lot of um, digestible, as you said, digestible material that people could take away and, and wrestle with. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, it sounds uh, like you've got a bunch of stuff in your brain that we can pick out now and, and sure. think particularly about why this stuff's so important and also uh, reflect on, on how this can be really helpful uh, for our youth kids. So Kit, how about we start by uh, chatting about what the genre of lament actually is? So what do we mean when we say lament? Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. So broadly speaking, um, there are two main categories in the Psalms, and there's a few others, but the main ones are praising and lamenting. And lamenting is not just grumbling that things aren't going well or just being sad about something, but more formally, it's about crying out to God because there's a, a disconnect between what you know God has promised and who you know God is and how you're experiencing life mm. and how you're experiencing God's presence in your life, um, how, you, how you're feeling about your life of faith and what you think about your life of faith don't quite match up. And so lament cries out to God asking him to save the person crying or deliver them from their troubles or questions God about why he's doing this. Often it's a combination of all those things. Yeah, cool. Um, I don't experience a lot of this either read at church, talked about or preached really at all um, at church and maybe on a few occasions. Uh, what, why do you think it is? Well, neither do I. And uh, even though I've been preaching on it and teaching about it for many years, um, even in my own context, we still we do it now, but it's not very regular. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it's a complicated issue why this is not something we incorporate into our normal uh, worship, whether it's in song or prayer or preaching. But I think there are a number of factors. Uh, one of them is simply that we have become uh, a little biblical illiterate, that we just don't engage all of the Bible And when we don't do that, we're not comfortable with those parts of the Bible that give us a different picture to what we're used to. Whether that's a picture of a a holy and just and even violent and dangerous God, or whether it's a picture here in the Psalms of uh, vulnerable and distressed people being thoroughly honest uh, about their struggles with God uh, and and bringing those struggles to him. So partly it's, I think... um, 
a history of disengagement from the Bible that's slowly taking effect, uh, combined with us only going to passages that we're really comfortable with, and the removal of Psalms in general from contemporary liturgy, um, that we just don't work our way through the Psalms like the early church did. So we're not familiar with the language. It seems like it's too far. You can't, you shouldn't talk to God like this. It's uncomfortable, very bold language, very confronting language. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons. And I think there's, there's other reasons, other cultural reasons about what we expect from life, what we talk about. Uh, we don't tend to talk about how difficult life's become. And we don't want to think about how God's in control of life when things are still this bad. Um, so there's a tendency towards positivism, positive thinking, mm. um, always being happy, striving to be happy, that acknowledging deep sadness and a life of struggle that is um, inherent to a life of faith is not something we engage with very much anymore. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And what, what, what do you think, uh, as we kind of have this, I guess, attitude at church, we're constantly preaching the positive, um, like we do hear quite a lot of Psalms preached at church, but they're, they're very joyous ones. Mm. Uh, what do you think we miss out on mm. when we avoid these Psalms uh, mm. in our teaching? We, we miss out on an enormous, uh, an enormous amount of... Um, well, we miss, we miss an enormous amount. And it's interesting that of the two main forms of psalms in the, in the Psalter, uh, the lament is the dominant one. In other words, there's more lament in the psalms than there are praise psalms. So for the uh, ancient Israelites, for the people of God in the Old Testament, and for the early church, as they were working through the psalms regularly, they would spend more time lamenting than they would praising. And what we miss... As I said, there's an enormous amount that we miss. Uh, we miss an opportunity to demonstrate that all of life needs to come before God, that God's aware of our struggles, that God wants to be there for us, that God's given us voices and words to use when life's at its most difficult. We miss a community around us mm. that's also there singing with us and for us when we can't often sing those words ourselves, our life is so hard at that time. But if we could articulate it, we would. And when we don't, as a collective, we're not speaking those words for other people when they need them spoken for them. So we miss a community engagement. We miss um, our own voice that God wants to hear. He wants to hear our struggles. He wants us to be honest with him. He wants a real relationship that covers all of our life. But I think most tragically, is that what we're doing when we're not lamenting is that we're not acknowledging that God is still king when things are rough. Mm. And that's what the Psalms are based, that's what the lament Psalms are based on. They're based on a thorough conviction that in all of life, God is king. And so when, when things are great, we can praise God and thank him for all of his blessings. When things are difficult and rough and desperate and dark, we come to him because he's the only one that can save. He's the only one who has made promises that he can keep uh, about sustaining us and giving us peace and, and deliverance uh, and loving us no matter what. So when we don't lament, we're missing out on not only half of our life with God, but the most difficult half when we need him most. Uh, we're not using these words he's given us. We're not demonstrating a faithful response effectively. Um, there's a lot of other things we're missing, but that's like the main heart of it, that God's given us words and we've decided those words aren't 
relevant or aren't important or aren't for us. And when we do that, um, we're missing out on God's rich blessing of wanting to be involved and wanting to help. But we're also not able to demonstrate faithfully what a righteous response to that suffering is. And it's to bring it back to the king who can do something about it, to demonstrate faith. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I think that's a really helpful uh, kind of overview and gives us a good few things that we can grab onto and go a little bit deeper now as we think about uh, how these psalms can really address uh, the lives of our youth kids. Mm. Yeah, so over the past few years, there's been some research done in America by the Barna Group onto why so many young people are leaving church. And one of the huge things that came across was that they don't think the church engages with the reality of their lives, that they have real issues and often they don't feel like they can bring those issues forward because they don't connect or match the message that they're receiving uh, from the pulpit or from their youth leaders. Uh, and so eventually they'll, they'll turn to the world to answer those questions or they'll just become so dissatisfied uh, that they aren't being connected with that they walk away. Uh, I think uh, after spending much time looking at these, these psalms that we have an opportunity here uh, to do that. How do you think the psalms of lament can connect with the reality of what it's like to be a teenager in Australia? Mm. I think that's broadly true of the Old Testament as a whole. That one of the beautiful gifts God's given us in the Old Testament is that it's a uh, a story of God's real life with people in all of its ups and downs and all of its ugliness and all of its joys that there's a picture of uh, real life across the Old Testament. So Ecclesiastes wrestling with all of the, um, the troubling uh, elements of life in all of its circularity and all of its uh, darkness and joys and uh, sadness. Um, but the Psalms similarly, and particularly the Lament Psalms, I think, are, and this is, this is one of the problems we alluded to earlier, that by not engaging with them, we're removing more than half of our life from our walk with God. And God wants to uh, engage us when we are lonely, when we have lost friends and family, when people slander us, when we've been mistreated, uh, when, our, when our life is under threat. When we're sick, when we're, when our expectation of a future changes dramatically and we're um, injured or um, disabled. There's all kinds of things that the Psalms wrestle with on a con consistent basis uh, that model for us um, this life of faith that says, um, here's, here's how you respond to these troubling uh, these circumstances. Here's how you respond to all of these problems. Um, God wants you to vocalize them. He wants you to cry out to him and question why this is happening. So, so I think the Barna Report uh, is hitting something that the church has the great capacity to answer. Like we have the resources, God-given resources, to offer um, our youth a real and robust faith that isn't afraid to bring all of these questions back to God. Why is this happening? Why am I lonely? Um, why is my life not working out the way it should be? Why are my friends all abandoning me? Why are my um, 
Uh, why is my family not supporting me? Why are people slandering me? Why, why is my life filled with pain or suffering or rejection or injury? And these are all things that the Psalms wrestle with and that God has said, here are words. Here's a community that should speak these words with you and for you. Uh, here's real life. And life's not always happy. Life's not always joyous. As we said before, most, uh, the, the largest form of the Psalms is lament. And so you're expecting when you read through the Psalms that life is complex and hard and difficult. It's, it's shaping your expectations. And so I think uh, the church has a unique place to speak into the lives of youth and the lives of everyone and say, look, God wants us to be real. Uh, God wants your faith to work in the hardest and darkest places. It doesn't, it's not just faith for when things are going well. It's, it's going to work its best and its most powerfully in those, in those spaces where uh, life is raw and, uh, and painful. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I, I think one of the things that really connected with me as I read through some of uh, these Psalms that have a few less uh, happy places in them and, and thought about my youth kids is how powerful it can be to see someone express what you feel mm. in the Bible. I think often we can think people or young, young people can think the Bible doesn't connect with how I feel. It doesn't understand how I feel. Yeah. And then you read some of these Psalms and you hear them cry out to God, even to the point of, of asking where he is. Mm. And they can see other people wrestling with the same things that they are and seeing that those things aren't that they're not evil because they're wrestling with those things. They're not evil because they're having doubt. They're not evil because they've cried out to God, where are you? They're not evil uh, because of the struggles that they're having, and, but that there is a, a righteous way to express that. That's right. Uh, and even Jesus himself recognizes that this is what the Psalms is for. This is what the Psalms are for. And he cries out in that same way. Uh, when he's suffering, uh, particularly on the on the cross, we see him using the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not only expressing real feelings to God, but he's modeling what the Psalms are intended for, and that is for all of God's people to use them as their own words, uh, to use these words that are given to given to us to express those real feelings, that God knows you have these feelings. Here's words that that can express them back to God. And so Jesus does that very thing by picking up words that have been used by a community for hundreds of years and uh, are now still given to us and to, to the rest of the church to use together. And particularly powerful, I think, to realize not only the people, uh, the people in the history past have used these words, not only has Jesus um, picked up these, this same language and cried out to God, but that all of these Psalms are designed for God's church now that God's people together are supposed to, to sing and pray um, with the, using these words in order to encourage those around them. Hmm. Often uh, at youth group, we find that there are people dealing with lots of different issues. In fact, I say essentially every time I'm up in front of a youth group, there are as many issues as there are people and that they, they range around. Um, some people are in times of joy. Some people are in times of deep uh, depression and maybe anxiety as well, uh, what can, how can it be valuable to teach uh, and preach from a psalm that is expressing one of these, uh, so one of these feelings, a, a particular sadness, mm. how is that beneficial for the entire group? Yeah, that's really important. I think there are a number of things there. 
firstly that the the psalms are often uh, introduced as being written for the choir master so they're intended to be sung and read and prayed together now on, on any given on any given sunday any given friday night any given meeting uh, we usually turn up and expect people to sing praise together to worship together to sing praise songs we, we turn up on a weekly basis and we expect people to do that and that is right and that is good uh, but what the psalter demonstrates to us is that not only should we expect people to sing and praise together even when they're not feeling that way but even more importantly for those who are struggling is that you have people who are um, joyous and people whose life is going whose life is ordered and they're they're not struggling they're going to come alongside those people in the room that are suffering and sing lament with them it shows that we're here together that we understand that um, the, the, the ups and downs of life, all of it gets brought before God. So on the one hand, we're often asking people to come in, no matter where they are in their life, and sing praise. I think uh, it's more than appropriate. It's important and right that we ask those people who are ready to praise to also cry, to weep with those who are weeping to stand by them, to sing with them and for them, as we've already said before. So there's something really important and something we're missing again, that when we only sing praise in those contexts, uh, it's actually, I mean, it's, it's good for people who are suffering to have a community around them that are singing praise. That's a good thing, to remind them of the truths uh, about who God is and what he's done uh, and that he's faithful. One of the unfortunate results of not lamenting corporately together is that we're actually not modeling that it's okay for those people to go home and do it by themselves not only are we we not supporting them collectively but we're actually implying that these this isn't good or right and and we not only that we're not even modeling how to do it Mm. so we've left those people without resources without any acknowledgement that this is possible or right and we've not done it with them or for them so I think unknowingly, unwittingly, we're actually doing great harm to people by only ever singing praise together. Mm. I find that in, um, in the later chapters of your book, uh, Rob Smith wrote a really interesting chapter about singing lament. And, and one of his reflections was that when we sing words, uh, the reality of the song can become our reality. And we feel those feelings, we empathise. Uh, and so when we sing lament, it's an opportunity for us to stand in solidarity with those amongst us who are struggling and That's to right. empathize with them, uh, which is so powerful to me mm. um, that we that people would know that they're brothers and sisters, that as the church, as a youth group, we walk through this pain together uh, as those saved. It's incredibly powerful. One of the intentional features of the Psalms, <clears throat> excuse me, is that they're written in the first person. So when you as a person who's struggling, hear the whole congregation crying out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or why do you turn your face from me? Why do you reject me? I've been crying out to you for so long. When all of these people surround you, surrounding you are saying I, I and, and me, uh, they're singing with you and as you. And that's that great solidarity you're talking about. That's intentional. It's the intention of the Psalms that the the struggling and the oppressed uh, person, the person who is um, disenfranchised and isolated, 
uh, hears a whole host of people mm. singing with them and as them. Yeah, and so we're saying to people at youth group that as God's people, we are together in this and that you're supported, uh, which is really powerful, really helpful. Um, how, how do you think these psalms are helpful for someone uh, who, say, young, say, 15-year-old girl, has been around youth group for a while, um, is constantly hearing about how God takes away all your anxieties and how um, you, know, you have Christ and so you can be happy and you can be joyful, and now is feeling... Uh, is, is experiencing depression that's not lining up in that in that kind of instance what can the benefit be from her a youth minister deciding that he's going to go through a, a psalm of lament at youth group mm. well in some ways that's that question summarizes a lot of what we've just been saying it shows that god wants the community to support them it shows them that there are good and righteous ways to express your doubt and your pain and your confusion to God. The Psalms of the Men are full of confusion about why this is happening and why it's not getting better. Uh, it also, I think for this in this particular case, there's lots of language of persistent trouble that the Psalmist cries out day and day and day in and day out and there doesn't seem to be any relief. So there's chronic and persistent pain and suffering and this feeling of rejection and confusion where God isn't answering them. Uh, and so to introduce that language and to show this girl that it's okay to feel this way, that God understands and he's faithful and he's going to, um, he's given you this community that's going to stand with you and be that voice for you and be his loving arms that surround you. Uh, th those are incredibly powerful things that God's gifted us with that we just don't take mm. advantage of. Yeah, an incredible resource that seems to be overlooked uh, in, in many ways. Um, so I thought it might be helpful now uh, if uh, we, we move into having a look specifically at a psalm and, and walking through and thinking about it. Uh, so yeah, how about we do that together? Okay, so now we're going to look at Psalm 88 together. Uh, it's a psalm that uh, can be quite renowned at times because it, it doesn't have that happy ending. It doesn't have the, the lift that a lament psalm like Psalm 13 does, uh, but it's still really valuable, I think, as we'll see. Uh, so I'm going to read it for us now, uh, and then Kit's going to say a few things for us. Psalm 88. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to the Mahalath Lenoth. A masculine of Hermon the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? 
Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. Kit, how would you go about preaching this passage to a group of teenagers? Well, as your listeners, I think, are, are aware, that teenagers are um, resilient and uh, ready to deal with the real issues in life. And this one, life doesn't get more real than it does in Psalm 88. So there's lots of themes here that I think will resonate uh, with, um, with everyone, but certainly with, with teenagers. Um, I think within, within the psalm itself, there's a lot of connections for people. Uh, that they feel rejected and conf- there's confusion. Verse 14, why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? That it doesn't seem like their life, their faith's changing. It's not making a difference with their, in their life that their problems are persistent. And you see that in Psalm 88 with the psalmist who's crying out daily from youth, from when he was young and there hasn't been a change. So I think this persistent cry and this constant confusion and rejection is something that can be leveraged and discussed. Um, the isolation is really powerful here. You've taken away my loved ones. Um, I am repulsive to those around me. And the very last line of the psalm, it's a, a chilling end to the psalm. Uh, and in the Hebrew, it's a, a little more chilling. It says, you've taken my companions and my loved ones from me. My closest friend is darkness. It ends on the word darkness, and that's it, uh, as if there's no hope left. But there is hope in the psalm. There's hope for the person who's struggling here. There's hope for the youth who's, who's um, having a, a difficult time. Uh, the psalm itself, by definition, is hopeful. And so even though I think for Psalm 88, you want the person, you want the audience to feel some of the weight and to resonate with um, the doubt and confusion and frustration that the, that the psalmist is feeling. Uh, he, I, I, like with most of the psalms, I would be looking at the metaphors and seeing if those can be um, adapted for the sermon. So whether it's this feeling of drowning, uh, this, this idea of going down into a pit and being covered and these waves pounding. Certainly in an Australian context, we understand waves pounding and, uh, and being trapped, feeling like you're drowning. So these kinds of images are really powerful. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of preaching, uh, again, um, I think there are a number of things here that demonstrate to the youth that it's okay to, to speak. Like, this is really bold language, mm-hmm. but it's okay for them to cry out to God like this and question why God is doing this to them. It's very strong language. These are your terrors and your waves, and it sounds really bold and uncomfortable. But this is the language all the way through the Psalms. It recognizes that God's in control, that God's the king. And so it's his kingdom that they're suffering in, and so it's his concern, and he's the God, line one, who saves them. 
So giving them, I think for youth, giving them a sense that this bold language that that probably resonates with a lot of their own frustrations is okay, that God knows. And God says, here's a psalm when when things are this dark. Here are words to use that honor me as king and that demonstrate a great faith. I often talk about in class that this this psalm being one of the darkest, or in fact, the, the darkest psalm, expresses the most profound faith because... This psalmist, despite all of their frustration, all their continual crying, never gives up, just clings, clings to God, keeps crying out. And there's, there's repetition three times, which will also be useful for the preacher. Three times in the psalm, the person cries out. He says he's been crying out his whole life, but now he doesn't stop. I cry out, I cry out, I cry out. And this faith that just says, I'm not going to give up on God, even though it seems like God's given up on me. Um, perhaps though, perhaps most um, importantly, this, this top line, in the NIV and in other English Bibles, it's the superscription that sits above verse 1. Um, as you know, Tom, in, in the Hebrew, it is verse 1. Yeah. And it sits in the Bible here that it's a song, uh, a psalm for the sons of Korah, for the director of music. And it's, a, it's for lament, for suffering, for oppression. Um, and it's given to the community, even though it's an individual psalm, a prayer of someone struggling. It says, here's a song that everyone should sing together. Yeah. So even though the 15-year-old girl in the youth group might feel like she's alone in the darkness and she has no friends and her family's abandoned her and things aren't going to change, it's important for her to know that the community around her, there is a community around her mm-hmm. that understands this, uh, this pain and this confusion and that wants to cry out with her in the darkness so she doesn't cry alone, uh, that she doesn't cry in, in this space and feels like there's no one crying with her. So there's really powerful things here that I think will resonate with the confusion that a lot of young people feel about why their life's turning out the way it is and it seems like it's out of control. Uh, Psalm 88 recognises that even in, even in its darkest time, God's in control. Uh, it's confusing still and it's troubling, but it says, trust me, I'm the God who delivers. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. A, a piece of pushback, I guess, that I sometimes get when people... Um, yeah, when I, when I talk about this stuff is people will say to me, but where's, you've got to give us something at the end. You've got to, you've got to raise everyone back up. You've got to put the, you know, you've got to put the room back on the shoulders of Christ and, and make them feel the joy. Why should we be comfortable in staying in this psalm and ending this psalm with the ending that it has? Yeah. Uh, so when I, that's a great question. I get that as well. And I, when I print this psalm out in class, it fits on the front of an A4 page. That's not intentional. It just sort of mm. fills the page. And when I read through it in class, invariably, everyone will get to the last verse, verse 18, and they'll turn the page over <laughs> because they're expecting the next stanza. Mm. And then they go, what? they're confused. And I say, no, that, that's, turn back, that's the last verse. Mm. And so when we're, when we're preaching and teaching, I think capturing what God has given us in any text is important and not changing its form or its content. This is God's gift to us. We don't get to decide what's in or out of the Bible. And so when we're preaching, I think it's important to give people hope. And certainly this psalm, as I said, it's the most faithful of psalms. Uh, so there's, there's inherent hope that says God knows um, God's given us these words. He's given us a community around us that wants, that should cry out with us. Mm. And he said, in your darkness and confusion, you have an opportunity to express an incredible faith here. This, this person who's crying out like you are, 
is exhibiting the most profound faith. Mm. Uh, so it's, it should be an encouragement, an encouragement to keep crying out, no matter how long and how hard God's here and he says, even though it looks like he's turned away and looks like he's not answering, he's actually speaking to us in this psalm in the darkness. So to, to, to take the congregation and the person, the 15-year-old girl there, out of this place and say, well, this place um, needs to be fixed and changed. Uh, well, it does, but that's not our job. It's not our job to um, fix that space. It's our job to speak God's words into that space and let him fix it. So we don't want to trivialize it. We don't want to pretend it's not real, pretend it's an, a quick and easy fix. The psalmist doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. So I think letting people stay with the, the pain and the suffering, but still giving them hope. There's still hope here that God's using this psalm to speak to them. He's giving them, giving them a community. And for Christians, obviously, we know that God is the one who's entered into the darkness that struggled with abandonment. Uh, that suffered for us in a way we can't even begin to comprehend. And so he knows what it's like to feel, um, to feel this pain. He knows what it's like to, to feel the isolation and the darkness. And so we can cry out confidently as Christians knowing that Jesus has been in this place uh, and he's going to be with us in this place. Mm. So this is God's voice to us in the darkness. It, it, we, we can't pretend the darkness isn't there. And I think finishing the psalm in a different way um, just pretends the darkness isn't there. It's the thing we were talking about at the beginning, that the Psalms are designed to engage with real life and God wants us to be honest with him and to allow those in our community to feel it's okay to be honest. Mm. And so staying in the darkness of the Psalm, I think is really important. Yeah, and I appreciate what you get onto about the reality in that I think this Psalm challenges what is mo well, probably one of the most common accidental lies that we tell people in pastoral care, which is, it's going to get better. Mm. I think often we're really tempted to say that um, when often we don't know. And so sometimes it might get better, but sometimes we might be proved to be a liar uh, where someone is in this situation for a lot longer, if not their entire life. And, and it's only through the restoration that comes in the new kingdom that, that, they, that things do get better. And I think this psalm is really great in that it doesn't do that. Mm. Um, it's... It's a psalm for a good listener uh, and that you will listen, listen to someone, hear this pain that they're going through uh, and then not just try and provide them with the fix. That's right. It's a great gift. And I think we, um, we do it a disservice by uh, giving it a happy ending. Mm. Uh, while this is quite heavy, it's, it's really encouraging for me as I think about uh, my youth group in particular and, and youth, youth kids as a whole that we do have an opportunity to engage with them on this level and that we don't have to do it in a way that's not authentic. We can actually use the authentic word of God that we've been given to meet people at this place. And I think uh, looking at Psalm 18 like this, 88 like this has been really helpful. Um, before we go, there is just one more, uh, I guess, Psalm that I'd like to engage with, largely because I just want your insight in, in how to talk about the, the difficulty in, involved with it. Cool, so Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. 
Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Uh, You told me that I could sing these words and they could be words to God that that are are righteous and they're his word. Uh, How do I match that with, with, with a psalm like this that just comes across so graphic and horrific? Yeah, these are very, um, they're, they're horrible images of the, the babies being dashed. And the last word there, maybe happy, as you know, Tom, isn't the best translation probably, mm. but here it's re- referring back to being the blessed person of Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who. Here it's blessed is the one who does this. Mm. It's, um, it's a way of righteousness and blessing, apparently. Uh, so all the way through, you read through the Psalms, you're, you, it doesn't take long to come across language like this. We call it imprecation, where you cry out to God to deliver you and to destroy the enemy or to bring justice or vengeance, uh, because again, he's the king. Uh, we see this in Psalm, one, in Psalm 2, uh, but all the way through the Psalms, we have uh, instances, as you read through many of them, you'll you encounter uh, these these cries for justice and deliverance and um, destruction, uh, and they're very very confronting. Perhaps none more so than Psalm one thirty seven. Where to begin? <laughs> Where to begin with explaining this? Uh, I guess first and foremost that all of these imprecatory psalms do the same things that the laments do. They cry out to God because they know He's the righteous King who's made promises to bring justice and righteousness to the world. So he's the one who's going to make everything right. And I think this is, a, again, a great comfort to those people who are struggling, who've been wronged, who've been abused, who will never see their perpetrators come to justice or come to full justice. They're going to read through the Psalms and realize that God is the king who will make things right. So first and foremost, it's an act of acknowledging God as king and committing to him all of the wrongs in this world. Uh, It it also, along the way, means that we don't take vengeance into our own hands, Mm. like Paul talks about later in Romans and throughout throughout the scriptures. It's God's concern and God's um, place to bring justice and judgment. Now, occasionally he uses human means and human governments, but ultimately final judgment comes to God so to cry out to him for this is right it's good it's, it's to cry out and acknowledge he's king and to cry out and acknowledge he's, he's promised to make things right in this context um, in this context it's also a cry that reflects God's covenantal promises to judge the Babylonians for what they did to Israel uh, these are people who've had their women and children um, raped, killed, hacked to pieces. They've been transported across um, to another country many, many miles away, dislocated from the temple, from their culture, from their people, and with no hope left um, f- to see these loved ones again. And so this was God's promise um, right back in, uh, in Isaiah, in the early chapters, you have a promise that he would judge the Babylonians for this. And so they're crying out saying, this has happened to us. Now, um, God, you need to, you really need to come good on your promise. But this particular psalm, Psalm 137, is a, is a 
cry of loyalty. It's a cry that says, if I don't, at the beginning of the psalm, we're not going to sing songs in a foreign land. We're not going to um, play for them and dishonor God. I want to honor God and, you know, stop me from playing, cripple my hand, make it make my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. Stop me from doing anything that would dishonor you. Uh, so this is, this is an expression of loyalty to Yahweh, loyalty to the Lord that says, I am your person. We are your people. We're committed to you. Um, you, you need to make things right. Now, we do that similarly in the New Testament uh, with our prayers. Uh, there's lots of places we could go to in the New Testament that, t- that talk in ways similar to this. Uh, there's several of them, but perhaps the one that people don't realize most regularly is the Lord's Prayer. When we cry, when we cry out for God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're crying out for Jesus to return and for that victorious king of, at the end of Revelation to ride in and to destroy his enemies and to make the world new and to bring um, peace and joy to a suffering people. So whether we like it or not, from start to finish, God has always promised to bring judgment and justice and righteousness to the world. And so this is, this is recognizing that in a place of weakness and um, oppression, that God is the one who can save. Yeah, that's really helpful uh, with the time you have. I'm sure you could talk about that for a couple of hours. Certainly. And if they want to know more, I've actually written a sermon on it in the Mm. book. There's a little short sermon on Psalm 137 where I explain it in a bit more detail. Yeah, excellent. Well, Kit, thanks heaps for the time uh, that you've given us today to, uh, yeah, I guess, pick apart your brain about some of these things. Uh, I wondered if you could finish us off by giving us yeah, your very short uh, summary of why should we be teaching the Psalms of Lament in youth group? Well, we need to be teaching them in youth group uh, and in every context, in other contexts, because we're not God. Because we don't get to decide what our people need. God's given us his scriptures to reveal himself and to help and and to transform his people and to reveal himself and to help us walk this life of faith. And he's given us these psalms in particular to help people walk through the darkest and rawest times of life. Uh, And we're not God. We We shouldn't decide what our people do and don't need when it comes to God's word. They need all of it. Whether it's the psalms or the rest of the Old Testament or the rest of the scriptures in general, we need to be giving our people the full and whole counsel of God. That's God's decision that he's given it to us as a gift to pass on. Uh, and in particular, the Psalms of Lament, by, by withholding these, as we've said before, uh, we there's not one sentence, I'm still going. Uh, <laughs> but by withholding this, we're not allowing people to experience and develop a robust faith that deals with real life. And that's what, that's what the Christian faith should be, a faith that holds up in the very darkest and most distressing times of life. We have a real and robust faith, a real God who's ready to hear our cries and enter into that space with us. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.